Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 121 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with realtor and real estate lawyer, Wendy Calvert, about having a crossover business where she's sometimes a lawyer, sometimes a realtor, and sometimes a business consultant. Today's podcast is sponsored by Ruby Receptionists, and it's smart, charming receptionists who are perfect for small firms. Visit callruby.com slash lawyerist to get a risk-free trial with Ruby. Today's podcast is sponsored by Spotlight Branding, which wants you to know that having a new website designed for your law firm doesn't have to suck. Spotlight Branding prides itself on great communication, meeting deadlines, and getting results. Text the word website to 66866 in order to receive a free website appraisal worksheet. Today's podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks, which is ridiculously easy to use and packed with powerful features. Try it now at freshbooks.com slash lawyerist and enter lawyerist in the how did you hear about us section. So I briefly mentioned last week that you and I are speaking at the Minnesota State Bar Association convention on June 15th at the Mall of America, where we will be riding the roller coaster. So please join us. (laughs) Maybe we should record a next podcast from the roller coaster. I think we should. Yeah, totally. As like a preview. (laughs) Word. Let's do it. (laughs) Okay. We should really do this. (laughs) Totally. Okay. Even just like a little snippet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We look forward to that. We should probably not the next episode. All right. But but soon. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Lawyerist on the roller coaster coming up. But I digress. So at the convention, we will be presenting on some of the scams and hacks that uh, can affect legal technology and lawyers and law firms and kind of apropos of that topic, one of our mutually favorite podcasts called Reply All, uh, their episode 97 that aired this past week was all about phishing. um, And it was super well done and super interesting. You should all listen to Reply All at least once just because, but specifically listen to this episode because I think it is super relevant to the attitude a lot of lawyers develop around technology security threats and kind of how to overcome them, which is I think a lot of lawyers think either A, not me, or B, like what kind of idiot would press this button, click this link, give them this thing. And the episode is all about how using kind of social manipulation that even really smart, sophisticated people can be easily duped by the sophisticated tools that hackers are currently using. Yeah, the title is What Kind of Idiot Gets Fished? And and I admit, like, I am totally in the only idiots get fished camp. And after listening to this one, uh, I still think only idiots get fished. <laughs> but but it was really illuminating for, for what... I don't fin- think that, for the record. <laughs> if any of you have been fished, I'm on your side. Hey, man, hubris is is me, uh, and I am hubris. Uh, first of all, I mean, Reply All is great. Like, if you're, if you're the kind of person who, like us, probably spends too much time on the internet, these are your people, uh, right? That's basically who these podcasters are. Um, they're a lot of fun to listen to. But this episode in particular, seriously, like when they show you what phishing actually is when it's done deliberately by somebody who knows what they're doing, it's really the kind of thing that you would fall for. Like it's it's pretty mind-boggling to me. Yep. 
including like how easy it is to get around two-factor authentication without stealing your phone, which is maybe the, that was the highlight of it for me. Yeah, that part, I think in some senses is kind of the scariest, which is yeah. like, even if you're actually following all of our best practices that we recommend to mostly bulletproof yourself, turns out still some loose ends. Yeah, so you should listen to episode 97 of Reply All. It's great. We'll put the link in the show notes. And you should do all of the security things that we've recommended in our posts and guides and things. But in the end, like you just have to be aware and vigilant and not do apparently not very dumb things. Right. So So we're all screwed. Yeah, we're all kind of screwed. I mean, yeah. And on that note. Nothing matters. And on that note, let's listen to Wendy Calvert, who uh, we had a great conversation. Part of it is based on her practice and part of it is based on a conversation that sparked at the last TBD law meeting. So the I think like it. podcast where nothing matters. Where nothing matters. <laughs> Except this conversation. Hi, I'm Wendy Calvert. I am a real estate attorney and a uh, corporate uh, consultant and a realtor. I work in Wisconsin and Illinois helping small businesses, developers, real estate investors, and even just the basic mom and pop help to grow their businesses and find properties and assist them in whatever way I can as far as managing and maintaining their properties. So uh, you list a few things there up at the front, right? You're a corporate consultant, a realtor, and a real estate attorney. Did I get it all? Yes. Wow. Yes, you did. And when you say corporate consultant, do you mean mostly to uh, real estate corporations or in ge- just broadly? Um, when I say that, a lot of times my real estate developers and my investors are setting up corporations. So I help them with the incorporation documents, uh, check and see what kind of corporation they really want to set up. Everybody kind of comes with an idea of an LLC, but sometimes they want an S corp, a C corp. So I kind of sit down and I talk to them about their business model from end to end. Gotcha. So uh, so it is often related to real estate, even though it isn't just real estate stuff. Absolutely. A lot of people start off small and then they end up uh, in a bigger arena or much bigger arena than they expected, hopefully. And I guess successful. maybe maybe our, our listeners aren't all aware of this, and, I, and I'm only vaguely aware, but... Um, but the way a lot of property uh, gets bought and sold, it, my understanding is you basically go and round up investors to invest in the property more or less like you would invest in a startup. And the agreement may be that you own the property for a period of time or indefinitely. And um, so there's a uh, there's sort of an investment business that is the vehicle through which you buy the property. Do I have that right? Absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then that business ends up going and hiring um, property managing companies and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's not just one person owning a building necessarily. Exactly. There's normally multiple parties that come to the table to put together a deal. Um, and sometimes we run them through the LLC. And when we do it that way, you end up getting maybe five or six, maybe eight people involved in it, hmm. depending on uh, who's involved and how it's set up. And are, is the goal sometimes to flip the property or to, to fill it up and then sell it? Or is the goal to maintain it indefinitely or is one more prevalent than the other, I guess? Uh, it varies. It depends on the, uh, the entrepreneurial goals, the investor, what they want to do with the properties. A lot of my investors want to fix and flip, uh, and they kind of run in the area of being contractors. Gotcha. Uh, my other investors, uh, tend to want to hold and that's in the area of being, you know, landlords and in that area. And then they'll hold them and see exactly what the rental values are. Hmm. And then a lot of it depends on the market. If the market is going up or down, 
they may want to hold it or they may want to sell it off. So it's a part of managing their overall portfolio. Where's the market right now? Um, in uh, Chicago, here it's up. Uh, in Wisconsin, it's down and bottoming out and uh, going back up slowly but surely. <laughs> I guess I guess when it bottoms out, that's kind of a good thing, right? Because there's nowhere to go but up. It's as long as you've actually found the bottom. Exactly, and that's the question: <laughs> Did we really find the bottom in Wisconsin? Right. Some, it depends on where you are. Gotcha. In uh, Illinois, it's more stable, um, particularly in Chicago. Hmm. So, uh, so you're a realtor and a real estate attorney. Which came first? Actually, it came at the same time. I started studying for the real estate exam. Uh, my background was in uh, corporate law, with a corporate attorney hmm. uh, and litigator. Uh, and then I transitioned over to being a real estate and realtor and a real estate attorney at the same time because it allowed me a little bit of more of a, a entrepreneurial feel where I can actually do what I want to do. So my goal was to, if I could not close a deal, uh, I would be involved in the actual transaction and make a little bit of money as a realtor. Oh, okay. I feel like lots of successful lawyers have kind of their side hustle. Um, mm-hmm. I've, heard, I've heard tell of a bankruptcy lawyer who runs an impound lot. Um, so that when his <laughs> clients are declaring bankruptcy, they put their car into the bankruptcy and they drive it to his impound lot and leave him the keys um, so that he can uh, make a little extra money off the trustee on that end. <laughs> okay. And that it works that way sometimes in real estate, you know. Yeah, I suppose A lot so. of my clients in real estate that it, I start off being their, um, their real estate attorney. Uh, later on, they either can't find the broker or they didn't trust the broker or there was an issue with the broker. They'll come to me and then they'll, they'll be like, well, you did such a great job with the closing. Can you help us sell the property? Gotcha. So, Wait, when you say broker, do you also mean realtor? Yes. Okay. I, I'm sorry. That's kind <laughs> of... <yeah. laughs> no, I, this is one of those things that I... Like when I, when I was buying my first house, I, you know, I'm a lawyer. My wife's a lawyer. We felt like we knew nothing about anything during that entire process. So I'm, I'm curious. Uh-huh. What's the difference between a, is a real estate agent and a realtor? Are they the same thing or are they different things? Uh, the realtor is actually the national designation, and okay. a bro- anybody can be a real estate broker. You cannot. You're not necessarily automatically a realtor. Gotcha. A realtor is the trademarked and you know the formal name. Oh, okay. Um, so you you said something there that I I guess I should have known about you, but I didn't. You used to be a corporate lawyer and litigator. Was that at a small firm or at a big firm, or or how did that work? And how did you end up out uh, doing your own thing? Uh, I started off with a corporation. So I was a corporate in-house counsel for an insurance company. Uh, we managed litigation uh, mm-hmm. throughout the Midwest. Um, and then I decided I wanted to try cases. So I moved over to being captive counsel with another insurance company. And I tried cases for about four or five years. And then I became an insurance uh, and litigation consultant uh, with LexisNexis, which is a media corporation. Yeah. And then, and then, so one day you decide, you know what, I want to go um, open my own firm and become a realtor? Well, yes and no. Uh, my position at Lexus, Lexus was eliminated, oh. um, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> my entire team was laid off. We had a major product we were supposed to uh, launch. It didn't launch, and it pretty much took out my entire team and a, an entire division. Um, so I was kind of left with either go back to a law firm, go back to a corporation, or use the money that I got uh, to just start off and, and, and do something that I really want to do. And that was into uh, real estate and owning my own firm. And it, it's just you, isn't it? So far, yeah. you have staff? Uh, I have a virtual assistant. Okay. How long ago did, you, uh, did all this happen that you went out on your own? Uh, 2012. So I started with a couple of partners and then some of them fell away and then, you know, got other partners and 
working with affiliate firms. So yeah. that's what I've been doing a lot of. Okay. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, lots of law students find themselves in the position of um, not having, being able to get the job they want. And so they start a firm because they don't have any other choice. But um, you did it uh, after years of actually practicing and litigating and having a lot of experience. So one of the things I think about is, you know, when you, lots of people want to know if they go right out of law school, are they going to be able to start their own firm? Uh, and it's really hard to learn how to run a business and practice law at the same time. I'm curious, you already knew quite a lot about practicing law, even if you were switching practice areas. Do you think that made it easier for you to pick up running a firm, or do you think that uh, it didn't really help? I'd, it, was, it was much easier because I had the experience being a corporate lawyer, understanding how corporations worked. Mm-hmm. So that helped me a lot. Although we don't necessarily practice what we learn, so it took me about a year to kind of get everything perfected. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say in the long run, it was easier because I kind of understood things and could see it in a different way than just someone, you know, launching their career as a lawyer and being an independent or just being a solo practitioner. You do have to understand how a business works in order to do this. If not, it's it's going to be uh, extremely difficult. So you mentioned a minute ago that you work in, uh, I think you said partnerships uh, with other firms. How does, uh, tell me yeah. about that. When I got started as a solo, the problem with being a solo is that you don't normally have people that you can rely on in your office. I used to be in a big corporation where you could just walk over to somebody else's office and say, hey, I got this issue, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. But as a solo practitioner, you don't have that. So what I did is started talking to other solo practitioners and other small firms uh, and finding people who had different levels of expertise than I did. So if somebody knows something about, um, oh, I had a client who came to me with a patent issue. I don't know patent. Um, I know maybe the basics. So then I had to kind of start working with other firms, giving them those cases or either offering to, you know, give them half of the fee if they would help train me and work with me through that particular issue with the permission of the client. Yeah. So right now I work with a firm up, or, or if you're, you know, out of state. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work with a firm up in Wisconsin. I'm licensed there, but I'm inactive. So that means I've got to partner with another firm. So if issues come up, they have to do the work, and I can't be directly involved in it. Gotcha. And the same with St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh, so you work down in, in Missouri as well? Yes, I have a affiliate firm that I work with down in Missouri as well. Which, which reminds me, I should probably mention that uh, you came to our second meeting of TBD Law last year, which is how we met. Yes, yes. That's and I hear awesome. the third one is about to is opening up, so yeah. I'm excited. Yep. No, we are. Yes. We are just taking applications for it, and so I guess every, hopefully everybody will excuse me if I plug it for a moment and just say, <laughs> go to lawyerist.com/tbdlaw if you want to know what the heck we're talking about, um, and if it strikes your fancy and it seems like something you'd be interested in, uh, please apply. You have to apply, or you won't get there. Um, but we want you to apply if you think you'd be interested. So sorry for that digression. Um, <laughs> no, no, it was, it was an amazing, that helped me kind of help focus on what I want to do in my practice. Well, what is so I had that? an idea, but it helped my focus. What is that? Tell us. Well, before I was kind of like, well, maybe I'll work with the investors. Maybe I'll go out and chase some deals. I wasn't really focused on what my firm meant. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of people were saying, well, just be a realtor. Don't be both. Mm. And, but, but I am a lawyer. So I like being a lawyer. I like helping people. So I had to find a way to kind of mix those two things together without encroaching upon what I was doing with the other one. Yeah. If that makes sense. 
Yeah, it does. So, so, so you feel like you found a good balance now? Yes. After talking to everybody, you know, because we did the days of just kind of going through and, and, and working on issues that were arising at our firms, how are people doing things differently? Um, there were a lot of creative ideas in the room. Very cool. And I was able to take some of that back to me. And matter of fact, I'm looking at some of our charts that I've pinned on my wall <laughs> that I can walk past that gives me the ideas of what never to do, what works, what doesn't work, um, things like that, and been able to narrow down my focus considerably. What are some of the things on your things never to do or or things that don't work uh, list? Uh, I'm looking at litigation hard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like litigation. I like the fact that I can do litigation, but um, I'm, I'm really counseling my clients to be more adverse to litigation or to avoid it or how to be more proactive uh, and stay away from litigation because it's a hard road once you get in there, you know, and it costs a lot of money and you don't necessarily get what you want in the long run. Yeah, I think as a lawyer, too, it's often really beneficial to say to your clients, look, I love litigation. I'm not counseling mm-hmm. you to stay out of this this mess because I don't want to do it. Um, I'm This is me like a pig in shit, right? This is my favorite thing. I love litigation. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I don't think you ought to do it because it's not in your best interest. I think that's a little bit more persuasive than if your client starts thinking that you're afraid of it or something. Exactly. Exactly. Because I'm like, I can do it. I have no problem going to court. You're like, hold but me the back. Question is how, <laughs> <laughs> how much money do you have and how long do you really want to take to do this? Because Cook County has one of the longest dockets in the nation. So yeah. it's not like we're going to sue today and we're going to get a court date tomorrow. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So we need to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, um, I want to talk about uh, your kind of unique perspective on access to justice, uh, because you're not serving the poorest of the poor, uh, but it comes up a lot in, uh, in your clientele and, and just in the work that you do. Um, and in fact, at TBD Law, you and I were both uh, in a group that was discussing access to justice, and I kept writing things down that Wendy Calvert had talked about. So um, I want to bring that up after the break. So we'll be back in just a moment. This podcast is supported by Ruby Receptionists. As a matter of fact, Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist, and my firm was a paying Ruby customer before that. Here's what I love about Ruby. When I'm in the middle of something, I hate to be interrupted, so when the phone rings, it annoys me, and that often carries over into the conversation I have after I pick up the phone, which is why I'm better off not answering my own phone. Instead, Ruby answers the phone, and if the person on the other end asks for me, a friendly, cheerful receptionist from Ruby calls me and asks if I want them to put the call through. It's a buffer that gives me a minute to let go of my annoyance and be a better human being during the call. If you want to be a better human being on the phone, give Ruby a try. Go to callruby.com slash lawyerist to sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. If you aren't happy with Ruby for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks. I'm pretty sure you'll stick around, but since there is no risk, you might as well try. Spotlight Branding is an internet marketing company that doesn't suck. Most solo and small firm lawyers have had at least one truly miserable experience with a web designer or internet marketing company. So if the idea of launching a new website for your law firm makes you queasy, they get it. Spotlight Branding prides itself on excellent communication with its clients, being responsive, professional, respectful, and delivering what it tells you it's going to deliver. Spotlight Branding works exclusively with solo and small law firms. Services include law firm website design, email newsletter management, social media marketing, and more, all designed to make your law practice more profitable. And Spotlight Branding is currently offering a free gift to our listeners. 
Simply text the word website to 66866 and receive their free website appraisal worksheet, an easy way to evaluate your web presence, identify what's working, and spot opportunities to improve. So you're racing against the clock to wrap up three client projects, prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. Welcome to Modern Life as a Small Firm Lawyer. The working world has changed. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for the self-employed. To meet this need, FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built for exactly the way you work. Get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly. The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculously easy to use, it's also packed full of powerful features. Create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds, set up online payments with just a couple of clicks and get paid up to four days faster, see when your client has seen your invoice and put an end to the guessing games. FreshBook is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com lawyerist and enter lawyerist in the how did you hear about us section. Okay, we're back. And uh, Wendy, maybe maybe when I mentioned access to justice, people were like, what? She does real estate, which pretty much defines uh-huh. uh, the middle class is when you start owning property, that's when kind of one indicator of how you get into the middle class, I think. Um, so tell me about that. Like, how does access to justice come up in your practice then? Um, a lot of times, and, and I would tell people, you, you take your client where you find them. Um, and my clients... Um, are all over the board. So I might have a, uh, investor trying to invest millions of dollars and then I might have a mom and pop looking to just get a rental property. So a lot of times I end up dealing with people in the middle class who are business owners. Um, and they're either business owners because they choose to be business owners or because they accidentally become a business owner when they become uh, a landlord. Uh, and a lot of time, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm involved in landlord tenant uh, in a landlord tenant organization in the Twin Cities, and so I know what you're talking about. But I bet to most people, mm-hmm. it the idea that somebody has accidentally become a business owner because they became a landlord is kind of a weird concept. Um, say yeah. more about like how what how does that actually look when when that comes up? Well, what happens is they get the property. You know, they got this great idea. They get a property. They get a two flat, three flat. They rent it out, and then they got tenants. Mm-hmm. Then they got tenants who won't leave. And they got tenants who won't pay. And they got tenants who will bring in a dog or, you know, you name it, it happens. And then they've got to go ahead and then step up and then evict the tenant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're dealing with more of the business side of it. You've got to uh, be able to allocate funds that you now were getting for payment of rent. And you've got to sue them. You've got to put them out. Um, so a lot of times what I'm trying to do is I'm working with my clients to counsel them to set up everything as a business so that the business assets and um, liabilities are separate from your personal assets. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, don't, they don't understand it. Yeah, and sometimes you can't evict someone unless you've actually properly, you're licensed and, and everything. In Minneapolis, you're not allowed to collect rent if you haven't gone through the licensing process. Um, oh. and, and tenants can actually demand it back. I think that's even part of the model landlord-tenant code. Um, and and it's not settled whether or not tenants can like get the money out of the landlord in that case. But, um, but some of us certainly think that's what it says. Uh, but, but it's interesting, like, yeah, the idea that you are accidentally a business owner and not, you don't just get to collect rent is, um, it happens all the time constantly because landlords are just people who, you you know, I have a a, a great idea. Yeah. I have a classmate who became a landlord because he decided to keep his 
first house and just start renting it out. And um, that kind of thing happens all the time. Right. And then a lot of them, they won't set the business first. They set the business after the fact. And what I try to counsel my landlords to do, you want to set up your business model to keep it separate from your personal assets mm-hmm. so that you can manage it accordingly and you can understand what it is you're getting from this business uh, venture and what you're not. You know, and then you want to keep it clean uh, and separate for tax purposes. And, you know, landlord carries a lot of different connotations uh, with people, but mm-hmm. uh, but one of them is wealthy. And and yes. it sounds like what you're saying is uh, that's not necessarily right. And, and I, I mean, I know this to be true because I'm in this world, but landlords are often struggling just as much as their tenants are. Right. And, they, and the thing about it is, though, there's an opportunity there where they actually could be rich. They mm-hmm. could be uh, millionaires if they managed it accordingly, but they're, well, if they don't manage it as a <laughs> yeah they, exactly if they don't manage it as a business up front, that's when they start losing money. You know that's when they um, I like I have a landlord have landlords and for some reason who won't do a basic background check. Mm-hmm. You know who won't um, um, uh, get client get their clients to sign an actual lease. Uh, and those things are important when they take the security deposit and in Cook County, you have to put it in a separate account. Uh, if you co-mingle the money that's in the security deposit, they don't realize that that is the tenant's money. That is not their money. Mm-hmm. And that distinction itself can get them in trouble. And it, it sounds like, um, you know, how this, how this plays into the access to justice idea is that you've got landlords coming to you who are, uh, they have lots of assets. They almost certainly don't qualify for legal aid. Uh, but they're also going to have trouble paying your fee. And so, I mean, what do, you, what do you do about that? And how do you think the system is overlooking them? What I try, normally try to do is be more proactive. So when I have landlords that come to me, I try to find out exactly what their business model is and what they, you know, how they're setting it up. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it goes to that. If you don't think of it as a business up front, that's when you're going to have the issues. Um, then I'll try to work with them to make sure that the things that happen that will undermine them or cost them more money don't happen. But are you, you know, are you reducing make, your fees as well to, to, um, to represent them? Yes. Yes. You can, there's a couple of models. Like some of my landlords are very, um, well versed and understand the court very well. Mm-hmm. So for them, I might just go ahead and prepare the documents at a reduced fee and then they can go and do their own court appearances. Oh, sure. You know, as long as they're not a corporate corporation. Mm-hmm. Uh, others, I might reduce the fee if, if, you know, they're a long-term client and got a lot of different properties and doing this on a regular basis, I will reduce my fee. Uh, and then others, I will actually reduce my fee um, if they do have the opportunity to do something for free or get a re- reduced amount. Sometimes they just need somebody to point them in the right direction. And then at that point in time, I will work with them on that level as well. You have to take people where you find them. Not everybody has a lot of money. And, you know, the understanding that I had after we talked is in, in the group that we had is that people in the middle class may not have a lot of money, but there's more of them. Yeah. And what if you as an attorney could actually reach more people? And if you can reach more people and help more people, then you shouldn't have to charge an arm and a leg to do something that's very basic and base, something that, you know, people can do every day. They just need a little bit of help uh, and pointing them in the right direction. And you could actually charge them a lower fee. So it sounds like you've uh, you've expanded your your toolbox, uh, your billing toolbox, but you've also expanded your idea of of what that means, right? You've got uh, for one landlord, you might do sort of a limited scope representation where you're preparing documents, but you're not giving them, you know, selling them the whole uh, the whole package of services, the the top to bottom representation. And then in other cases, 
you're almost making an investment in that that person or that business where uh, you're doing it for a lower fee up front in hopes that if you uh, shore up the business by making it more successful, helping them have better practices, teaching them what they need to know to, to get the job done and collect the rent, uh, they might become a better client down the road. And then in some cases, it sounds like you're really sort of relying on the um, the holisticness of the system where if you, you put in goodwill and you're willing to do good work and, it, and you rely on it coming back to you. Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but overall, I think it works more than it doesn't work. I mean, there are some people who are going to take advantage. Um, but, you know, part of, I mean, I, I don't really take that as such a negative because I'm, I'm doing what I like to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing it without anyone else giving me rules or regulations. Uh, my clients appreciate it. And most of my clients, uh, they stay with me. Yeah. Uh, it, and, you know, I guess what I, to maybe tie that up in a bow, maybe. I, I, feel, I can't remember exactly how our conversation led to this, but I had written down in my notebook that, that most firms, many firms do access to justice in the same way that they say do diversity or do artificial intelligence. Um, they want to okay. pay lip service to those things because they look good on the firm profile or on the proposals that you're making to clients that care about those things. And they, they aren't really taking the time to, to dig in and figure out how to really make a difference. And right. in, in some cases, for example, the um, helping one client at a time makes a difference for that person, but it doesn't really alter the system. Or um, right. only representing the poorest of the poor, um, not to say you know somebody is higher or lower priority, but um, if you think about you know, your landlord clients, for example, they're, they're not the poorest of the poor. Uh, but you know, they, they've crawled out of legal aid eligibility only to be told, Mm -hmm. you know, now here's a giant expense that you need to, to undertake to move to the next level. Um, and so it's, there's, it's, there's a lot more going on, I guess, is the wrap up. Exactly. There is a lot more to it. Um, and, and that's why I try to stay in that area because there's a lot of opportunities to just help people help themselves, Mm -hmm. uh, and kind of help not necessarily resolve it all the way, but at least put a dent in it. And I don't think with the larger firm, I have the opportunity to really do that. I have the opportunity to kind of do programs and talk to people at a higher level, but I didn't have the opportunity to really touch people and sit down with them face to face and and try to come up with a resolution that works specifically for them. So where do your clients come from? Is it, do you get a lot of word of mouth? Do you do online advertising? Where's the biggest source? Uh, The biggest source is referrals. Um, and, and some other people I've worked with, other attorneys, um, a lot of the affiliates that I work with. Uh, and then I do um, subscribe to Avo. Mm-hmm. So I have a small Avo account. So every now and then I'll get clients through that, which is good. So that yeah. supplements what I'm doing. Uh, and then a lot of networking. Um, it's, it's really all about relationships and actually talking to people and meeting people where you find them. It seems like that might be especially true in real estate where... Um, mm-hmm. your clients have the ability to refer other clients is my guess. Yes. And that happens all the time. Yeah. Especially if you've, um, shored up a business, uh, maybe at a discounted fee and, uh, turned somebody into a success. I bet they're going to listen to the person that helped them get there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for being with us today and talking about your practice. I really enjoyed our conversation. Same here. Thank you so much. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit lawyerist.com slash podcast 
or LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can subscribe via iTunes or anywhere podcasts are found. Both Lawyerist and the Legal Talk Network can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play or iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said during this podcast is legal advice. 